If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Dude, can you do like a Ric Flair, you know, like sort of real where you're just like hyping yourself up? That'd be rad. The greatest thing to happen since sliced bread at Gagoobay. <laughs> the big man, Hunter McIntyre, twisted steel and sex appeal, stand in front of you right now. It's six foot two, a lean 205. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, that, what, oh, what a, a, a fun interview. We've been looking forward to having Hunter in the studio for some time now. He's caused all kinds of waves in obstacle course racing, tough mudders. He's Spartans. kicking ass and taking names. Damn right. And uh, we got a chance to meet when we were up in Tahoe for the Spartan race. Oh, we loved you right away. And instantly, we all fell in love with this Walks guy. Walks in right with away. like, what did you have? You had like an, you had a yeah. cowboy hat on and like an American flag tank top. And, yeah, with an eagle on it. And I'm yeah. just like, who? Yeah. okay, I like this guy. Instant yeah. friends. Yeah, right away. Right, right away. This, this guy's is, a winner. This is our people. <laughs> yeah. This guy knows how to do it. Yeah, but we had, <laughs> yeah. we had a great conversation with you. We talked about your, obviously, co- competitions and OCR. Your modeling background is fascinating, by the Being way. Being sexy professional. He was, he was a professional. <laughs> I mean, model that was at obvious. one point. <laughs> uh, your childhood. We got into your childhood and, yeah. and what that was all about. Talked about drug addiction and rehab. We got into all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm a drug enthusiast. But not promoter. Now you can find him on Instagram at Hunt the Sheriff. That's a nice name. Where'd that come from, by the way? Uh, the Sheriff Badge Tattoo. Oh, I see that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm here to party. Uh, very cool. So you gotta <laughs> check him out on Instagram. You guys are going to love this episode. Yeah. And I do want to remind everybody that this month, Maps Anywhere is half off. Maps Anywhere, of course, is our fitness program that gets you in shape anywhere. It doesn't require any equipment, so you can do it at home. You can do that at work. You do it on the road. Um, it's half off. All you got to do is go to mapswhite.com and use the code white50, W-H-I-T-E, and the number 50 without a space. For half off, and of course, if you want to find out about other maps programs, just go to mapsfitnessproducts.com. Um, and that's it. You want to say anything before we start your episode? No, man. I just hope you guys listen and hit up, hit me up if you enjoy the party. Excellent. So, without any further ado, here we are interviewing Hunter McIntyre. Rock and roll, yeah. You guys should rec- put record on. Everyone just hit Salvia one day. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> no that'd be way, t- dude. That'd be your top rated podcast. Have, I'm you, telling you, have right you done Salvia? That's what I started on. Whoa, we whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> you started on the, the most powerful hallucinogenic? <laughs> well, dude, dude, we didn't know. That was the problem. So one of our friends, Andrew, in middle school, like his his dad, like divorced family, his dad kind of gave him everything he wanted. Huh. So he found out in smoke shops, there was this thing called Salvia. So his dad would buy him like bulk bags of this stuff. His and dad he, would? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't dad, believe this is legal, by the way. His dad had no clue. So we'd go into the backyard, and we had no, we didn't know where to get rolling paper. So what we'd do is we'd take sticky notes, fill them with salvia, and we'd roll them up because it had that sticky thing, and we'd smoke them, and we would fucking, we were destroyed. Oh, my God. I, you, you're you in another all, dimension. You lose all sense of reality. Right? Oh, my God. I, last time my I did it, my head hit on the couch like this, and my face was melting into the couch and because I, I was laughing so hard. I was like, no, I'm losing my face. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the shit. You did, that's so damn. That was early yeah, on. You went hard. I don't even think I knew what salvia was back then. If you were middle school, is when you fucked around with that. Well, yeah. we didn't. We it was just kind of introduced to us. Yeah, just like it had anything. been early. We, we had no clue what we were doing. And um, yeah, it's figure. just like an herb. You know? Yeah, yeah. No well, that's deal. what it's sold as, and I think yeah. that's probably got to be one of the most dangerous drugs on the planet. Like you think about bath salts. You cannot salt, drive on that. Yeah, you can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen the videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm cool. I've seen some <laughs> yeah. kid jump out the window. Yeah. Sometimes if I smoke too much weed, I freak out. So I'm cool with the. I can't smoke weed at all anymore. Why? 
So I went to rehab uh, 2007. Oh, man, and, you made it sad. Uh, no, 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 no. It was okay. a great time. Okay, good. Honestly, it was such a good time. It was like, imagine if like you like to do drugs and there's like five other kids in your schools who like to do drugs. Now imagine you go to a sleepaway camp with everyone who likes to do drugs. So you're like, like you got great stories too. Like, yeah. You know so, what's funny is that the, the success rate on those aren't very high because of that exact reason right there. Oh, my, yeah. I think my, my, my cousin went to rehab like eight times. You know what I'm saying? It's like, he just ended up meeting friends just, Exactly what you just said. It's like camp for all your buddies that like to party uh, and do drugs, and well, you hit link up afterwards. They They're kept like on kicking me out of the rehabs because I kept on telling them, I was like, "You guys know that right when we leave here, we're going to do the same exact thing. Like, no twelve step program is going to change us. Like, we're all going to meet up and we're going to get lit." They're like, "Connor, you cannot say that to other children. This this program will work for them." I was like, "No, uh, it's not." How long ago was that? 2007. Oh wow! What was your what was your drug of choice? What was it that you were in there for? I mean, it was everything. I mean, as I just said, like you know, salvia was like the first thing introduced to me. So like, mm. you just started at this incredibly high point. So your point of entry was like, imagine your first car was a Ferrari. Like you had to keep on finding other things that were similar to that yeah. kind of stimulus. So um, I just kept on partying, drinking, smoking, doing cocaine, doing pills. And we just did it every day, and I kept on getting arrested uh, for like stupid things like smashing mailboxes, having fun as a kid. But, you know, I guess the court system didn't think it was so funny. Um, and by the end of it, they're like, dude, you can either go to jail or you can uh, you can go to court for, I mean, a rehab for a year. And I was like, that's an obvious choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and rehab. So did your, is that when exercise and fitness and performance, did that replace the drugs and become your, your drug of choice? Um, luckily my program officer at the time, so I, I got, got to rehab and I was in college and it was basically this kind of thing. Sorry. Um, it was this kind of thing where I got to college for the first time ever and they're like, don't do any drugs. And I was like, of course I'm going to do drugs. So Mm -hmm. I, everybody was getting high and I kept on failing everything. So I got sent to a second rehab, which was like a nature rehab. Like you're out in the woods for three and a half months. Basically like sleeping in a, a sleeping bag in the dirt all day long. I got out of that one and they're like, Hunter, like, you've got one more chance before you go to jail. And I was like, all right, I need a job that's going to be so exhausting, I cannot get high. And they're like, <laughs> I'm too tired to get high. What a great approach. I know. So uh, that was my only attempt. I was like, what can I do that will prevent me from getting high? I'm like, I got, I got to have my hands full. So they contacted this guy who used to work with the program, and he was a logger. So I got a job as a logger, and I was, like, you know, an 18-year-old kid, and they put me in the high woods of Montana Doing Dude, like that's logging a dangerous job. job it man. was insane. It's also one of the most physical jobs you could possibly it do. It was. I got so jacked. So I went from one sixty five to two fifteen in eight months. Holy shit! Holy like, cow. I got these bare paws for hands, and like that just made me. I could. I remember I could walk into parties. I couldn't drink the beer, so what I would do is like party tricks. I'd pick like full peg kegs up, and I could like throw them around the party or walk around with it with my shoulder. And like right then and there, I was like, I'm a fucking beast. I was like, I'm gonna start. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna start doing this. That logging strength. Yeah. So when I got out of rehab, um, I was just a monster. And I went to college to go wrestle, and I was like so much stronger. And I was just like, holy crap! Like I got to learn how to lift weights. So uh, basically, like I still was getting high all the time, but I knew like my journey was fitness. So wow. So now you were you wrestling up until this point? Yeah, yeah. I wrestled all the way through high school, middle school, elementary school. It was all the kind of thing where it was like, you know, just like a recreational soccer or anything. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't so dedicated to it that I wanted to be like an Olympian. Like, some kids wake up and like, they're like, every single day in high school, they're like, I'm going to be an Olympian or I'm going to be a world champion. Like, I was just like, I'm going to toss people around on the mat and You're just have good fun. At it. <laughs> yeah, it was something to pass the time. Like, my parents gave me an ultimatum. It was like, either you do yard work, get a job, or you, you compete. So I just competed. 
Wow. Yeah. Would you say that that's part of the secret to your performance? Because you have this. In, we were watching some old yeah. videos of you. What was that? That you just have a motor. Broken that skull. Quit, Broken man. skull, baby. And, and yeah. by the way, you were smaller in that video than I, than you Way are smaller. now. But your strength is silly. Yeah, it, it's you're, you're very very strong pound for pound. It seems. Is, would you say that the wrestling background was your secret? Um, you know it wasn't wrestling. Didn't make me that strong. What made me strong was climbing trees. Uh, really, like mm. it's crazy. I used to climb trees that were fifty to hundred feet high every day for hours on end, and we would just get high and climb up to the top of trees <laughs> and make tree forts, dude. It was so hysterical. We like pack our backpacks with like and rope up like two by fours and stuff and with hammers and nails and we climb trees just gnarly segments and then we just smash a nail into the tree and, and with a two by four and like sit there at the top and get high for a bit and be like all right we conquered this one on to the next one now that that be, is that something that's common i would i would never even thought about this because i know it's a dangerous job and i yeah. and you got to be kind of a badass probably a thrill seeker a little bit so is it is are drugs common in that in that circle oh in the uh logging, logging industry log, yeah. yeah dude Everybody. So the guy who got me the job was a heroin addict and a meth addict, and he had <laughs> recovered, obviously. And uh, the guy who was, I was what was called a hooker and a knot bumper. Um, what? Two pretty sloppy names. <laughs> yeah. So a hooker is the guy who, so imagine this is a hill right here. There's a crane at the top. Mm -hmm. You go down and uh, you go down and they run this line down the mountain and they've saw, like all the guys who saw down the trees have laid down lines of trees. You have to align them, wrap a uh, big heavy cordage of metal around it and make the call and then they pull it up with the crane. Oh, okay. So, and then the knot bumpers, the guy at the top who unlocks the chains and then saws them down and makes e the, the log completely just like a straight pull. Mm. And uh, the guy who is my partner for both of that, there was a 29 year old, so he was 10 years older than me and he still was like getting fucked up constantly. And uh, so I think it's just like a high adrenaline job, high, like, you know, you're either getting high, you're either crushing your job or getting girls. Like those are your, that's the lifestyle. It wow. attracts, uh, it, it would seem like it attracts like a dopamine junkie, somebody who yeah, needs thrill that seeker. constant yeah. thrill. And you fit that category. Yeah. Similar to like, you remember uh, those like those uh, shows where the guys are like lobster crabbers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. they go out there, they crush it for three months in the high seas, then they come back and they just go to like tick clubs, gamble and like do meth. Yeah. 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 yeah it was the same thing. Yeah. 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 We just wow. did it on a daily basis. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> do you do you work now or is your full time job competing and being a sponsored athlete? This is full time. Um, the circumstances, this like I. I kind of got into Spartan race back in 2012 and I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to become the best uh, mud runner in the world. And they're like, you are not going to do that. Like you go back to college. Like, everyone <laughs> laughed at me and I was like, I'm going to make this work. It's going to be awesome. Trust me. And within three months I had a sponsorship from Spartan race. And then another three months I had a sponsorship from Reebok. So it was kind of like the perfect way if I caught it and just rode it into the beach. And uh, since then it's just been kind of a circuit of, whether it's making money from the championship or making money from a sponsorship or you know whatever the one-off deal was, uh, it, it it just grew. Was uh, this was this before or your first before or after your first show of Broken Skull? Broken Skull was probably three years into the career. Oh, so you had already got sponsored? Yeah, were already kicking ass. I I thought it was the other way around. I thought Broken mm. Skull kind of catapulted you. No, no. I actually was really lucky. Um, within two years of doing Spartan Race, I got contacted by Esquire Network, and they uh, hired me to host a television show with a couple other people traveling around the world doing the hardest endurance events. 
And uh, that just was like kicking the shit out of me. And that is exactly the same time I got the call for Brogan Skull Ranch. So I was an ultra distance athlete who got hired to do basically like the world's deadliest show, which is like more of a macho man um, television show, Broken Skull. So at that point, I was kind of converging two insanely like different worlds and had to meet into the center and still be able to uphold my job, which was being this hosted like like an endurance event that could last three days long or something that could last 15 seconds in a sandy pit in, you know, Southern California on Broken Skull. Oh, wow. So you had to maintain two different levels of fitness. Yeah, so that's where, um, like, I'll admit, one thing that made me, two things that made me the beast of that show was I decided to take my bicycle and take all the gears off it and turn my bike into a single speed. So my legs just built, were like tree trunks. They were as hard as this table. Like, you couldn't touch them and not, like, hurt your finger. Mm. So I, I, I had built this insane engine of strength endurance through doing that. And then from there, um, I started doing a lot of sled drags. I think you'd be so surprised. Like, mm. you don't need to squat, deadlift, um, or do bench press if you do sled drag as heavy as you can imagine yeah. for, like, half an hour to an hour at a time. Oh, that's going to build tremendous oh. strength. Yeah, it was and awesome. And it's functional as fuck. Yeah. Because yeah. at some point, like, uh, and the strength endurance came from the logging, too. At some point, uh, I think, like, all you guys could probably put four or 500 pounds on your back for a squat, and you can hold that tension for probably, like, 10 to 15 seconds. Mm. But after that's done, like, your power output drops severely. Right. Mm-hmm. And in all of these events that we would do, it's very similar. Like, I may go up against a guy who has a stronger deadlift, bench, pull, whatever it may be. Uh, but, but after work capacity, yeah, is after, crazy. after he dropped off, like I, for every 30 seconds, maybe drop a small percentage, whereas they drop 25, 50, mm-hmm. 75. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now they're just like a, now, a shell of themselves. Did you, did you make that connection right away? Or is it like an evolution of like, Oh, this is, I'm starting to pick up that a lot of these dudes are not training maybe the right way. And I've figured this out. Like how, how'd you put that together? Um, I started, like one thing I learned really, really young is if you want to beat people, you can't, you don't necessarily need to outwork them. You need to outsmart them. Now, outworking somebody is a very key uh, attribute of being a good athlete. But uh, I just started reading as many books as possible. So like I've read well over 100, 200 uh, strength and conditioning books. Mm. So I was doing strongman uh, research when I got the call for Broken Skull Ranch. I watched a couple episodes. I recognized the time domain of the, the exertion. And I was like, you need to be able to hold maximum intensity for 30 to 90 seconds. Huh. So I did the research on it, and I recognized that if I just put myself under time under tension for that long, I would be able to break yeah, it. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, that you were, you know, a bit lighter, like, on the show, and then you decided to go all into the strong, strongman-type training, and then yeah. you gained a lot of weight. How much ga- weight weight did you gain? Um, I was 178 when I did the first broken skull, and now I'm 208. Uh, so I fluctuate between, like, 208, 215 right now. What's your best comp- competition weight? Have you identified? 192. That's where you feel the, just overall the best. Well, if I was going to do an OCR, I'll do it 192. Like you guys went up, went to Tahoe. Yeah. That right there, I'm probably a 188, 192. Mm-hmm. 192, I feel a little bit healthier. 188, like if the day is right, I can mm-hmm. still feel good about it. And like that's where your body fat percentage like rides between like six and nine percent. Mm-hmm. I would like to be like around seven to eight. They have official rankings for OCR or is it just each organization? Each organization is independent. They keep on trying to find these systems where they cross-section each other because mm-hmm. they're all independent companies under one industry, and they all don't like to play by the rules together. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they just like, like, you guys are so similar, but for some reason, you can't agree on you know the fact that 
Well, because ten- one organization is going to want, want their guy to be the champion. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so there's a you know there's a couple of us that are always winning, and you know there's one guy, John Albin, who pretty much cleaned up this year on everything that was long distance. So like he would probably be the highest ranked guy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are you on that? I haven't competed in that circuit in about a year and a half, but anything that's under 30 minutes, under 60 minutes, I'd probably be number one or two. Mm-hmm. Anything that's under 30 minutes, I, I'm number one by a large margin. Um, now, I can imagine someone like you who loves the novelty, loves the competition. Are you getting bored with this kind of competition now that you've been just kind of dominating it, or is it still exciting for you? Uh, it's still exciting. Like I think competition is something that defines me. Uh, I mm-hmm. think I need to like I'm starting to get a little bit more involved with CrossFit and trying to get involved in just like some more one-off opportunities. But uh, the reality is like I I'm still very passionate about my project, and until I will follow and pursue something to like, its very very end, and then I will know the day it's mm-hmm. done. Like I'm not the kind of person who's like. Oh, I think I'll still try another one. Like I only compete knowing that I can have the opportunity to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So CrossFit, tell us about that. What are you trying out with them? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is such a crapshoot of information. But so <laughs> I decided, like I've always talked about being good at CrossFit because it's something that I, I continue to add into my my strength training routine all the time because it's very versatile and it's something you don't get bored at. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the five by five system is something that I just can't live by. Mm. So the approach of CrossFit has always been something I've been like enamored by. Uh, you know, let's try something today that's 10 by one followed by a circuit that's like three rounds of X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, that's actually really cool. So I've been doing it for five years, but I've also been running professionally. They're two very different things. So then the announcement of TMX, which is our one mile uh, championship for Tough Mudder, has been around for two years. And it's just like CrossFit, but it's always running forward. So you're always running to the next circuit and doing the next challenge. And professional CrossFitters have come in and I was just denting them up left and right. And I was like, I could fucking kill these guys. I I was like, I know I can beat them. So... If you look at CrossFit, CrossFit's the score of the open is five five workouts, right. mm-hmm. and you have to be very good at these five workouts. You don't have to be the greatest; it's a game of averages. So you know you have to be in the top percentile for right. all of them. Now, out of those five workouts, I will get three or four of them really top percentages, and then one of them I will shit the bed. Mm. And the one is always Olympic lifting. Mm. So I decided I just recently I was like. That's it. So after my recent championship, June 9th with TMX, I was like, I won the thing. I know I can win it forever if I want to. I was like, that's it. I'm done running. So I haven't run in four months now, and I'm just going to Olympic lift. Mm. So now I am all in invested on CrossFit. Uh. Now, admittedly, I'm a little bit heartbroken. At this, like Within two months of me announcing that, CrossFit announced that they are completely dissolving their their uh, linear approach to get to the CrossFit Games. I mean, it's the Open, the Regionals, then the CrossFit Games. It's a very systematic thing that's been going on since 2008, yeah. 2007. And how do they change it? What is it now? So now there's this whole new thing where every single country in the world that has a CrossFit gym through the Open, if you are the top person in your country, whether it's the United States, the, the most dense country in the world for CrossFitters, or your Yugoslavia, where there's probably three CrossFitters, you, every single country takes one person forward uh-huh. to compete at the CrossFit Games. Now, there's a second opportunity 
where there are 16 to 18 sanctioned events around the world that you can go compete at, but you need to win them to go forward to the CrossFit Games. So that's the two options. Now, the reason why I'm sitting in front of you lovely gentlemen right now is option number three. (laughs) It is the wild card. Now, this is supposed to also be known as the blowhard card, and that is the card where if you're a hotshot and you think you can fuck them up, and you say it loud enough, and you represent yourself well enough, they will give you one of these four cards. Oh, and that wow. is what we are doing here today. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we are going to do. I think we can get Keep you a car talking gonna, train dude, going. I swear to God, I'm going to blow a hole through those guys. So right now, that is what I'm designing myself to be. And uh, I, I have to say, at this point right now, if you put me in the CrossFit Games, I will not be the champion. But am I training to be that champion? 100% I am. And I would not be here speaking as loud as I am right now if I did not believe in that opportunity. Wow. How's the Olympic lifting yeah, going? Yeah, tell me about that. Um, so if you had to look across the board, um, let's say the standards for being a world-class power lifter would be maybe a thousand. Now, this is, let's say heavyweights, just so we can get it across the board. Thousand pound, like 900 to a thousand pound squat. So, yeah. Um, deadlift anywhere from like, uh, high eights to 1,000. I think they're pulling 1,100 now, but it's like one random mm-hmm. guy. Um, and then bench press is like, you know, 700 to high eights. Mm-hmm. So in CrossFit, if you went down, uh, if you went to Olympic lifting in CrossFit, um, which is so much lower than the standard for like high, like world-class guys, you're looking at a snatch of like 315 being the top, you're looking at the clean and jerk being around 375, 380. Mm. And those guys are usually good at one thing and then they're kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. in the trash with other ones. I'm at 240 snatch and 300 on the clean and jerk. Okay. okay. Now, mm-hmm. this has all been developed over with like four months of dedicated training. Four so, months. Four months. Now, so you still got a lot to I got a lot to go. Now, yeah. I'll be totally honest. It's just like if you guys were all recreational golfers and you played, you know, once or twice a month and you swung and you just did your own thing like you you could play a game of golf but then all of a sudden you decided you're like I'm going to go to a tournament with all my friend uh friends at work and I want to prove to my boss that I can sh- stick it to him like that's and you went like 4 or 5 days a week to the driving range that's where I'm at right now and like I'm dedicated and I'm ready to crush. Now, <laughs> have you have you kind of tested yourself and dropped in some CrossFit locations and just seen how you you measure up against a lot of these people? Oh yeah, yeah, constantly. Whenever I get the chance to go up against like anybody who's a high level CrossFitter, like I'll just be like, hey, like you you're around, you want to do it, and we just beat each other to the death. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm right there alongside of them. I just but then all of a sudden, like if they decide to pull out that one sword, which is Olympic lifting, they will beat me. But mm. not too long ago, um, I decided on my own accord to go to my friend Jacob Hepner. You guys would love this guy. You should definitely have him on. He's probably the fittest man in the world, I would say. But he just hasn't got the accolades to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and did the regionals from last year at his barn in Kansas. And of the five workouts, I set the world record on one, took third in the world on another one, and then I was middle of the pack on the last three. So... There's a couple things right now that I'm I'm really, really at the tip of the spear for, and now I'm just kind of sharpening the rest of my tools, getting ready for the next thing. How big of a role does the psychological factor play? I, I can imagine you're the kind of guy, if I were to compete against you, you'd fuck with me. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. Is that is that your game? Is that part of your strategy? Well, I let you know that the reality is that I'm going to crush you. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think a lot of people don't understand this. It's like competition is is something that is is beautiful and it needs to be respected in the way that you need to be a sportsman. But at the same time, you also need to have your compa- your passion behind it. Mm-hmm. I think passion is the most important thing in the universe. I think it's the highest level of energy to dedicate towards anything. I don't, I think people like, you know, they're like, love, love is the most important thing in the universe. I'm like, no, passion, <laughs> that voice be- too. passion yeah. behind the love yes. is the most important thing in the universe. And like, you know, passion behind your pursuit and whatever journey you have is the most important mm-hmm. thing. And what I do is I let people know how passionate I am about it by trash talking them to their face. <laughs> and I'm not the kind of guy who will talk badly about someone behind someone's back. Like I straight up will tell you as soon as I know, and yeah. whether it's on social media or to your face. And it's not because I disrespect you. It's just because like I know what I believe in, and I'm just making sure you yeah. heard me. Yeah, as long as you back it up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's what you see the a Conor McGregor or some guy that's really good at, at the trash talking, but can back it up. Yeah, yeah, but also builds your brand. I mean, this guy right here is like you're uh, you're a, a network TV dream. I mean, I know, know, right? So yeah. I, I would feel like they they would they they should give you a, a card if they want good yeah. ratings. Yeah. And, yeah. Do you well, have anybody so- in your crosshairs? Anybody you're, you're you you want to compete against? More than um, others. Well, the thing that I hate the most, and I, it, I swear to God, hand on my heart, I have nothing against this guy because he is an incredible. He is a. He is what everyone should look up to and uh, aspire to be. Is Matt Frazier. Mm. He's won the games the past three years, and only reason why I want to beat him is not because I don't care about the money. You could keep the money. I'll donate it to charity if that's what uh, you know an opportunity. But I hate people who win so easily. And when I say to other athletes, I was like, if you guys just sacked up and did something about this and recognize <laughs> it's it's not a game of you against him. It's all of you against him. So what it is, is and someone mentioned this. I can't remember the interview. If everybody did a little bit better, it would pull off of his performance. Hmm. And like, that's what people need to recognize. And if it needs to, if I need to be the iceberg that takes down the Titanic, I will be like, I don't care. I just want to get in there, and I, I like beating the best. Do you see any cracks mm. in his performance or his armor? What are his weaknesses, do you think? Well, I think the, probably the biggest thing that I've recognized is he hasn't ever had anybody really rubbing up against him. He doesn't have like somebody every single workout pushing him. He's, he's good at trash talking. He's good at the sport, and he's good at just he's calm, cool, and collected. Mm-hmm. Mm. He never has that. So what you need to do in a sport like this with somebody who's such a hot shot is you need to take the air out of their tires a little bit. And what you need to do is you need to get in front of the camera before he does. You know, get out in front of him a little bit or be behind him and let him know that you're right there. And and I'm not saying specifically him. He's just a really easy example because he's been the three-time champion. Mm -hmm. Um, With somebody like that, that's that's how I I would play the sport. I would go in to an event and I would destroy the first one as hard as I could. And I'd burn them to the ground like everybody and they'd know. (laughs) <laughs> They're like, fuck, this is the guy that they talked about. Oh, and then it. after that, I would let him know the next one, even though it wasn't my strong suit. I'm like, hey, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a nap during this one and I'm going to let you <laughs> blow out your tires and then I'm going to fuck you up on the next one. And what you do is is it's it's strategy. It's not it's not trying to be a pig of an athlete. It's being a person who is, um, you know, it's 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 a game of strategy. I always play things like chess. You you have your pawns, which mm. are the ones you can just dish to the side, and there's suckers who go after pawns. I love suckers. It's <laughs> psychological and, warfare. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you have your cross game, so you got to always be looking at uh, angles that people aren't paying attention to, and then you just have your your mm. your bull, you know, where you're going to drive forward and you're going to smash people. 
And like, you got to have that approach. So like when I do Spartan races still, like what I do is there's the running aspect, which is like, it's not necessarily essential. Like you can be a front runner, you can scare people. But what I do is I make sure when it's time, I will do the bait and switch. Like I'll make sure that I get, pretend like I'm tired just before a heavy obstacle and then I'll get behind them and let the person get ahead of me and I'll pick up something super fucking heavy and I'll blast it super hard and just fly right past you and they're like, shit, Hunter's got so much energy. I've so, heard you, you 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 basically rub up against people, yeah. throw elbows out there. Rubbing's racing. Physical. I have literally put a man into a tree as hard as I could because he wouldn't get out of my way. He was one of my best competitors. I was like, Matt, get out of my way. And he was just blocking me and I just slammed him. But, um... Yeah, these are all strategies that I've been exercising for years. You and talked about your weakness being Olympic lifts, and you're, now you're focusing on them. What are your strengths? Like, what are you going to bring to the CrossFit stage that you think you'll just kill people at? Oh, dude, engine. If you think about it, mm. so if you looked at the CrossFit Games, uh, usually the design is 12 to 14 events. Um, I would say a third of them are cardiovascular-based like in, in its entirety. So, like, last year... They had a an all out cycling event. They had and they had a marathon row in the first day. So those are completely metabolic, like you know, just like long mm-hmm. distance, easy going things, easy. Um, then they had an obstacle course event where while wearing a weight vest, like you know that that's my specialty. So that's three things. Then they had a swim, paddle, run. That's four things. Then they had a um, gosh, what is it? They had this thing that was called uh, chaos, which is basically like going across a football field while going through like exercises. Like they had swings, sled drags, everything mm-hmm. like that. That was even though it's breaking it up, doing different um, kind of like tasks, it's still a metabolic thing. And just so what it is, is just what I told you guys before, what I've designed my engine to do and a lot of athletes have. So I'm not trying to say this is going to be an easy battle by any means is you find your level of sustainability and what your goal is, is to have your maximum level of horsepower, but then being able to be a fuel efficient beast at that horsepower. Because mm-hmm. if you think about those drag cars that go down the strip as fast as they can, their gas tank will be empty at that same rate within minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, what you need to be able to do is you, be, you need to be able to be like a Formula mm-hmm. One car. Like you need know that you have to do lap upon lap upon lap. And it's, if you have to go in and get fuel, you're going to break down and people are going to pass you. So what I've done is I've just, just I just keep on taking these percentages, which are a hundred percent, and I find how to ride ninety as long as I can. Mm. How mm. does your training do that? What does your training look like when you're doing that? I mean, I know you're doing a lot of skills with the Olympic lifting, yeah. But to keep building or working on that engine, how do you construct your routines? Well, I built a base um, from just years of doing this kind mm. of stuff, so that's that's a pretty easy thing. Just like I'm sure you guys have all been in the gym for so many years, like you know that you can put two twenty five on the bar and do bench press no matter what. Right. So that that's there. Um, most importantly, what I've done is I've, I've started to go back through my research and um, you guys ever heard of Arthur Jones? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, like, yeah, inventor of Nautilus equipment. Yeah. So I've been doing research and I just started reading. I, I read it years ago, but Mike meant. Uh, oh, Mike heavy Metzer, duty. Mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I started reading that book again just recently and I'm trying to find ways like I've always been. I always knew that time under tension is the number one way to develop uh, endurance and strength and like, you know, being able to be fatigued resistant. So now I'm trying to find ways inside of a strength set, which might be a typical thing to you guys, like five by five. Mm -hmm. And then you know what cluster training is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So cluster training is another breakdown of it. Um, So I'll use sets like that. But now I'm trying to find ways of doing these like kind of like AB sets where 
a set will be five, like a cluster set. Mm-hmm. And then what I'll do is I'll take that same next set and I'll just put the weight on the bar and I'll go up and down as many times as I can at 90, 80, 90%. So let's say like a fi- I'll do a set of five and then I'll go and try to get anywhere from like nine to 14 mm-hmm. on the next one. And then I'll do like a slow tempo version of set of five and then I'll go back again. Mm-hmm. And it's much more exhausting. But what I'm tr- understanding now is like I, there's always different levels of breaking in your body. Like you may get really tired in that front rack position. And the reason why you break down is your lower back, but your legs and your, your, your shoulders are totally fine. So find ways of finding more tension in that position, in your back. So like, that's the kind of strategy I'm doing right now. I do have a coach, but I'm just kind of taking my scientific knowledge of myself and my and, and the world and putting it into my training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you seem to have a really, really fast ability to regenerate energy. Ben Greenfield talked about this for himself. He said that he's his ability to regenerate energy is what made him initially good at what he did. Yep. And it sounds like you have that natural ability as well where you, you don't have to rest very long between sets to get your strength no. back. No. I mean, part part of it's training and the other part of it's genetic. Like there are some people who are just never going to be able to do some of the things that I do. And there's some things I'll never be able to do that other people can do. Right, right, right. So Now, what about injuries? Have you had mm. – because this kind of training is very high risk, obviously. Yeah. Do you, Have you suffered any injuries throughout your career? No, not really. Um, wow, really? That's uh, crazy. Super you know durable. What, you know what was super shitty? Just recently, uh, back in April, and this was just six weeks before the TMX title, and I was racing a stadium race, which is a, pretty much like a very small thing on the totem pole of, of racing like mm-hmm. when it comes to priority. Uh, I jumped down a stair set and had to cut right, and my ankle just rolled over and snapped, and I popped the ligaments on the left side of my ankle. That's probably been the most devastating injury in my career uh, because it was it was so bad that it came. If you think about the ankle joint being right here, it tore all the ligaments down right. at the side, uh, the right side of my right ankle, uh, which is pronates out to the right. Uh, and it was so bad that it came back into the joint uh, and the ball, like this, basically the bone socket of where the ankle meets the foot. And it was like just traumatized. Mm. Like I couldn't flex back or forth at all. So did you that, have to get surgery on it or heal on its own? No, I'm a big believer in not going to the doctor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get it checked out at all? No, I did. My family okay. brought me in and they got so upset with me when I walked out of the doctors. They told me I needed to be in a boot for like eight weeks and I couldn't run at all. And I was like, listen, I was like, I have my world title in six weeks and I'm going to race it and it's not going to be in a boot. So I'm taking it off. Um, did you race? I did race. And I won. I lost my <laughs> yeah. This guy. But give uh, this man a wild card. Uh, yeah, give, give this man card, a wild man. card. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's 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 reality. My situation. Like if there's a bone hanging out of my flesh, like I'll be like, wait a second, this isn't natural. But if it's something, <laughs> if it's something that is somewhat sustainable through physical therapy, that's when I like I ha- I've never had such a major injury where it's like an ACL tear mm-hmm. or anything. And I have my fingers crossed, but also it's because. I'm very diligent in, in what it takes to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not the kind of guy, like, I learned at a young age, I'll never forget, I ran a 10K all out in 2013. Um, and then I came in to my gym and did this workout called King Kong, uh, which is a CrossFit workout with heavy deadlifts, heavy cleans, ring muscle-ups, and handstand push-ups. It's basically max, like, it's your max weight. Mm-hmm. And I decided that um, I would do that right after running full speed. And I threw my back out. And I knew right then and there, I was like, there's just some things you cannot do in the same day. And I've like 
basically um, a lot of what I do is kind of like risk reward uh, at this point. Do you, what are your, some of your health practices to maintain your health? Like, do you have a stress management protocol? Do you meditate? Do you do anything like that? Um, I have a therapist, not in the way like a therapist, like where I sit down and cry on a couch, but it's more of like a, uh, his name's Devo. He's, uh, one of the greatest guys. He works with a lot of people, athletes who have been in, uh, rehab in, uh, Malibu. Like a lot of these guys, Malibu's like just, uh, just stacked with rehabs for some reason. Yeah, what is that? I don't know. Well, it's just, you know, if you want to... Is that because all the Hollywood stars? If you, if you want to yeah, recover coming. from being an addict, you might as well do it on the beach, I guess. Um, <laughs> so he and I knew each other for years, and I was like, you know what, dude, I, I, I'd like it if you helped me out. Um, so we took our friendships and turned it into a, a little bit of a more of a convenient um, like business relationship as well. That's been something that's been very helpful for me because I'll admit... Probably the hardest part of being a very uh, like driven person is mm-hmm. is drive like running over people. You literally run people over, whether it be your family relationships. Like I'm so bad at being a boyfriend, mm. uh, just because I do not know how to emotionally put myself uh, you before me, and not because I'm an asshole. It's just because like I I just don't see emotions. Like when someone's like, oh, I had a really hard day at work. I'm like, what was so hard about your day at work? Like you had a bad conversation. Like it's your job. Stop complaining. <laughs> like if I complained about like, oh, I had a hard day at the gym today. Like, well, go get another job. Like do something else. So like things like that um, are very difficult for me. So like having a, a stress relationship. Um, like, Where do you think that comes from? Is that does that go all the way back to childhood? What's your what's your relationship like with your parents? Like, where does that? I lack empathy for a lot of people too, and that's an issue I have. But I know where it's rooted from. Do you know where yours is rooted from? Uh, probably my dad. Like, my dad and I are best friends. But I think when you have, I'm one of four boys, and like everybody's super mm. successful. My dad was, you know, graduated top of his class from Harvard. His father uh, didn't even go to college, but then you know started his own business. Was the head of. Uh, he was the head editor of the equivalent of like the Detroit Times um, and then started all these other businesses. My other grandfather's head of orthopedic surgery for all of New England and all, like everybody was just a boss. So to be in the room with all these people and all my brothers who are successful as well, you have to just. Were you the youngest? A, yeah, I'm the youngest. So there I, it is, man. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So you had to. Now, it wasn't like I had a chip on my shoulder. It was just like, all right, I'm four feet tall and everyone else is six feet tall. Like I need to say something or do something. And I think really, uh, when you're in that kind of, uh, testosterone driven room, there's not room for crying. Cause if you start crying, everyone's like, fuck, leave Hunter alone. Yeah. Let's just yeah. ditch this dude. Yeah, peace so out. yeah, I think maybe that's it, but I'm not going to say I had a bad childhood by any means. Like yeah. I'm not, I don't have like a sob story where I was like beaten or left in a dark closet. Um, I think, I would think there were some really high expectations and being the youngest though, that you had a lot to live up to that mm. probably felt like a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. I did nothing. I never did any schoolwork. I was only like, I was a good athlete I was fun to be around, but like everybody was top of the class. Like mm. a couple of my brothers are Ivy league people and say they, they they're successful doctor, lawyer, hedge fund guy. And then there's me, the mud run champ, baby. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure because if you're gonna choose a path like that, like it's it almost is like you got to be the greatest at it. Then, like yeah, if you're yeah. gonna you're gonna hang with all the brothers, right? Yeah, I guess so. I don't. I really don't know how it all came together. <laughs> we have a unique circumstance where everyone was actually really supportive. There was never a point in my life where if like, people were like, if you don't win this, like you you're not worth as much to us. Like it never felt like that. Mm-hmm. So. 
Uh, I don't know where the drive came from, but I think it was just a very well-designed circumstance where our family was all high achievers and it just seemed natural to do the same. Mm. Mm. Does everybody have charisma like you? Uh, My dad does. uh, My brother Ash does. My brother Garrett and Baxter, they're more uh, kind of reserved, but they're also very intelligent. They can, you know, Mm -hmm. if they were sitting here right now and you're asking questions, they could talk just as well as I do. But uh, I don't know. Um, My mom... My mom was very, she was very good at laughing. I think that's where I learned to laugh probably the most. Um, so she gave me that and probably my dad and my brothers, they gave me more of the confidence to talk a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now you you obviously have your sights on CrossFit, but are you also looking beyond and seeing how you can grow beyond that? Do you have aspirations for anything out of, yeah. out of that or are you just looking straight at CrossFit for now? Huh. Yeah, well, weren't you also working with the WWE and the, Oh gosh, yeah. I want to I want to yeah, I want to talk be, about that because That would be my dream job. Um okay. I did have the offer for it. Uh really? here, I'll, I'll give you guys I'll give you guys like the the immediate. I think it is intelligent to understand what is uh coming tomorrow, but I think it's more important to have the focus and the drive to own today. And I'm not like, I didn't read that from a book and I'm not trying to be trendy. I think it's just really important to understand how important it is to be great at what you say you're going to be great at and never give too much of your energy towards something that is a potential, Mm. like a potential that is outside of what you want to be your reality. Sure. So I know what I would like to have in my future. Um, You know, probably most importantly for me is to have a successful family. Uh, I I think, yeah, like I want to be as hardworking. Like I'll, I'll wake up, get on a flight, come see you guys, and go back home and go about my day. And I will do that until it is time to start a family. Like I, I'm on planes all over the country, if not the world, every every week, uh, just because I'm chasing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, if you let's say everything worked well in my sporting career, I did. I completed everything I wanted to do in obstacle course racing. I completed the opportunity of going to the CrossFit Games and representing the fact that uh, our sport and athletes like myself are fit enough to be on that stage. Um, And I felt confident in that. Like, I didn't have to look behind me and have regret. Uh, Probably the next thing I would like to do is have the opportunity to explain to people who are in my position the path and the easiest way to go about it. Not only in the physicality, but also the emotional response. Like me being a kid who was so destructive in a way that I didn't understand how what I was doing was probably not best shaped for my time. Now, like I woke up in the morning and I got high and I made jokes in class and I didn't, I never assembled myself to have a successful future. It just ended up aligning uh, the way I wanted it to and in its randomness. Like I'm so lucky that I have this opportunity right now because most kids who didn't have the family to afford it or didn't have the people surrounding them with the positivity would never be in my shoes right now because mm-hmm. I was arrested four times. I was in front of cops. Well, more than that. Uh, I was expelled from multiple schools. I was, uh, had the grade point average that would not even get you into community college. And, uh, I'm a little bit heartbroken knowing that there's a lot of people who did the same thing. Mostly also because I was pumped full of so much prescription medication at a young age that like it was ridiculous now that I look back on it. Like, you know, you can't just take a kid and give them four extremely powerful drugs and expect them to be like a a well-rounded human being when you have uppers, downers and in-betweeners trying to basically like, you know, sedate the kid. Um, so I would like to be able to take the platform that I've built and help kids out in that regard. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. So 
Uh, See, on, on, it's like on one hand you're cocky as hell, and then the other hand, yeah, this humble your side comes out. Yeah, yeah. Well, on top I, of that. Well, I, I got I go to got a good heart, like family and friends first. Um, but I would not be able to do what I do at the mm-hmm. level I want to unless I worked hard enough. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I, to afford being able to take my friends out to dinner or be able to get people good, uh, you know, put my kids through college, things like that. You do need to work hard, and if you don't. Uh, bark as loud as you want to bite, then no one's going to pay attention. So that's why I have to be who I am. You talked about prescription drugs as a kid. Was it like ADD medication? I'm just yeah, guessing. Dude, it was ridiculous. <laughs> they had me on like 120 milligrams of things that like if you took a 10 right now, you guys would feel high as a kite. And for some reason, they had this like inverse idea that like if he's so high and then we try to bring him higher, potentially he shall crash. <laughs> like I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. <laughs> and then they had me on tranquilizers. They had me on bipolar medication. Oh Holy shit. Yeah, dude. It was nuts, dude. So what I learned to do is I would get handfuls of pills and I could somehow roll them towards my fingers and lock them in and go like this and pretend like I ate them. So... And then my parents would be like, okay, and I'd throw them out because I knew at a young age, I was like, this shit is not good. Like, I remember in my fifth grade, uh, I lived in like a fishbowl in my brain. Like, everybody, like, I could see everybody, but I couldn't communicate. Like, I was so, like, twisted out of my brain from this medication. And I also gained this really weird twitch where I would just scratch my head constantly to the point where I'll never forget, I scratched a hole through my head. Like, I scratched a hole through my head and, like, into a bald spot. I woke up the next morning and my hair was just, like, filled with pus and it, like, created this massive scab. And I was like, this is fucked up. So I stopped taking the medication and, uh... God, like it, I look back at it now and I think to the kids that are like still being put on this medication, like I, I'm not going to lie. Two days ago, I talked to somebody and um, they had told me about some article or something they'd watched where the guy who had founded the idea of ADD realized on his deathbed, he mentioned that it was basically just a farce. Like mm-hmm. he had created, he was like kind of like a psychotherapist who'd kind of like created this like, um, like pseudo categories like, well, this child must have attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, like let's give I, him some meth. Yeah. 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 We shall <laughs> give him to bring <laughs> them down. Yeah. So it's funny too because those <laughs> the same characteristics that you were medicated for as a kid are the same characteristics that you're displaying right now as we're talking to you, and 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 it's probably some of the same characteristics that make you give you the ability to hyper focus on your sport. Yeah. Have the drive that you have. They also contribute to some of your charisma, which is probably gonna help you succeed even more in the sport because let's face it, these are commercial brands and having somebody who's a champion who also can get on camera and do all that stuff, that's a big win for them. Those same characteristics when you're a kid, they don't want them. Like here's yeah. here's some drugs, sit in the corner, be quiet, and yeah. write down your, you know, do your homework. It's a crazy thought to think that, you know, you need to wake up in the morning and leave your room and then go sit down in a room the size of this that we're sitting in right now with 20, 30 other kids and be quiet for eight hours. Right. And like in reality, kids do need to move and express themselves. Mm -hmm. And what they've done is they've turned us into caged animals. Like, have you ever seen a dog that's been in a cage all day long and then they get out and they freak the fuck out Mm -hmm. and they're like jumping on top of people. And you're like, why is this such a bad dog? Like, no, it's not a bad dog. Like you've treated it. You basically treated it poorly. And now it just doesn't know how to react in its situation. Like Mm -hmm. you've given it a little bit of freedom and it's going to act out. And that's what ended up happening with me. And I'm not going to say that I, you know, I'm an angel, but uh, I think if things were designed a little bit differently and I hope that I can help pursue and 
give people the opportunity where it doesn't have to be like that for them. Now, how old were you when you you first were getting medicated? And then at what age did you like say, fuck this, never taking this shit again? God, it had to have been third or fourth grade that I started taking like high levels of medication, like patches, pills, fucking everything. Wow. Uh, mm. And... Uh, I recognize probably 10, 11, 12 that like it just didn't make me feel good because mm. um, they were powerful drugs. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't eat mm-hmm. ever. I wouldn't eat and then I would binge eat mm-hmm. because like you'd be so high and sweat all the time. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was super fucked up. Uh, and oh God, dude, I was court mandated when I was going through the, that year of rehab and then the year after rehab to be on the same amount of drugs. And like that's crazy to think that you can court mandate people to be on uh, drugs. So it's like yeah, that the government can say take these. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So I just I recognize, but dude, as soon as I stopped taking these things and like I re- I understood how to channel myself. As long as I wake up in the morning, move a little bit, and it, it settles me completely. Mm-hmm. I can sit on a plane. I can read emails, write anything. Like whereas before, like they put me in a room and I immediately started like twitching and kicking because like you just can't do that to somebody. Mm. Did your brothers experience the same thing growing up? Did they have to go on medication? Uh, Garrett had dyslexia and like had to just go to school for a little bit and figure things out. And Ashley, uh, he, he had a little bit going on, but I mean, everybody kind of conquered it in their own way. I think I probably was the farthest off the spectrum uh i just had the most energy i guess um and a different approach to going about the day than they did but no i definitely was the was the black sheep Look, looking back now that you have that hindsight what do you think would have been a better approach or let's say you have a kid who's identical to you yeah and you you're recognizing these things like how would you approach their day or their schooling I probably start by homeschooling my kids for a while. Uh, I think like being able to create that bond and also I'd selfishly learn how I'd read, learn a lot of the things that were going on through school. I think it would help create a bond between myself and them. And I, I think I just have, I have to have my own self experimentation of learning what the kids are actually going through because myself giving away my kid for the entire day and then allowing people to give me reconnaissance information on how they've been acting without me actually watching, mm-hmm. like which was going on in my circumstance is probably not the best way. Like I should probably watch my kid go through it on my own. So that's probably my first approach. Um, also just understanding that there's probably going to be schools that are better designed for people like that. And whether I have to be somebody who helps create that or find those things, that's probably my next step. Um, do you think activity would have helped you? Like if you, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, I went to military school and I actually got really good grades at military school because they had us moving around a lot Mm -hmm. and then going to like study hall and then like going to like the pool and doing pool drills and then going to like, I didn't do the weightlifting, but kids were doing weightlifting classes and stuff. Like, uh, it was, there was like all this regiment of not necessarily negativity, uh, like some regiment can be associated with, but it was just like systematic in the way that you had to like get up, go in the morning, go here, go run, go do this, go do that, mm-hmm. go to class, go do this, go do that. And um, I think that was even better for me, even though military school is a rough place on itself. Uh, it was it was better, at least in that degree. If you had to get a job now, do you think you'd want to be an entrepreneur or work for someone else? Because I, I have a guess. I, it, you, you, I, have, yeah. I guess that I feel like you'd be unemployable, not because you'd be a bad... <laughs> <laughs> Not because you'd be a bad employee, yeah. but because, and by the way, I, I identify with this, okay? Not because yeah. you'd be a bad employee, but because you'd want to have the autonomy to do your own shit. Yeah. Is yeah. that, am I hitting it? 
Yeah, no, you're very right. I always thought it'd be super funny if I could be in office, though. I would be just, I would want to be- That'd be like the best sitcom ever. I want to be a CEO. Like my dad, my dad used to mess with the employees so much. We grew up in his office. So I thought to myself, I was like, I would have so much fun fucking with these people, like stealing- (laughs) That's his his drive to become a CEO so he can fuck with his employees. Yeah, like steal their keyboard, take wheels off their chair, things like that. Leave porn on people's computer. Exactly. You can't do that anymore, Justin. Uh, Well, whatever. I would do it. it. yeah, I thought that would be a blast. I'm, I'm hoping that I become successful enough that I do have employees that mm-hmm. I can continue that like uh, idea with. <laughs> but yeah, I would like to be on my own. Um, I think I'm always going to have to be my own boss because I think uh, I just go to the beat of my own drum. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my ideas and my drive will be intense enough that I can pursue it. Um, I'm not like kind of like this whimsical person. I'm like, well, maybe I'll try this today or this or this. Like, you know, I'm so creative. Um, no, I'm not going to be that person. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, if I can get through this whole athletic thing, I'll have um, a good path ahead of me and I'll be my own boss. Now, uh, how, how far do you have to get in order to be able to be a full-time obstacle course racer where your sponsors are paying you enough money that you can have a livelihood? Like, is it lucrative? Is it something that you had to... Yeah, do you have to win a certain amount of races? Right, did you have to work for a long time before you got to a point where you didn't have to? Well, uh, ironically, I was... I had, I had built up my career to be exactly what I wanted it to be. I was a personal trainer in Malibu. I was teaching at SoulCycle, which I don't know if you guys ever tried one of those, which is fun. I was teaching there uh, in it's Malibu. too hard. No, I haven't done it. <laughs> it, is, it is very hard. I love That's why I loved it. Um, that and the bike. Cool, Val likes to wear the tights, yeah. I, yeah. I, had, I dress I, like I do SoulCycle, but I don't take the class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I had, uh, I was working for them and they were, I never collected my paychecks for them. They probably owe me like a good like six grand. Wait or a minute, like you at, you showed up to work and then didn't. I never the collected my. Why paychecks? does that make sense? I don't know because I was just like I was like I'm just having a. Blast. Hey, you're forgetting something. I, I, I was just having a blast. Um, so I was working there for a while and I started doing this. Like I was just, I don't even know if I had that much money in my pocket when I started. Like I was really just, I would go to the store and I'd buy a whole chicken and a couple things of coconut water. And that would be like my lunch. Like I was very cheap because nothing, I didn't really need anything other than food and weights. So in the beginning, yeah, I was dead broke and I would just have people buy, people started buying me flights. So like, Hey Hunter, do you want to go to this race? I was like, yeah. And then I checked my email box. I had a flight. So like it just happened really quickly to the point where I don't really know. I could not map out how to pursue what I did, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And then, gosh, it it increased so much to the point where I was starting to make a lot of money. And I was like, wow, like I don't even know how this started. Uh, so like I'm not trying to brag and say I, I, I'm rich by any means. It was just like it went from being a kid who lived in like a little apartment, was dead broke, like didn't have a car, didn't have anything to all of a sudden like winning things within a year and a half. Like I was winning things like Broken Skull Ranch, which immediately gave me $50,000 and then Mm -hmm. winning like Mm -hmm. these other championships. Like when we first started, like winning $500 was a big deal. And I was like, I'm a fucking beast. 500 (laughs) bucks. Did you see this big cardboard check? (laughs) And now, um, it, it's, it's a lot of it relies on the sponsorship, but if, if I could backtrack it and just try to pinpoint where it started and where it is now, I'll say at first 
uh, it was success. Like you do need to be successful. There's the, there's the Instagram booty model approach where like you just take your clothes off, take pictures and hopefully people like will send you checks to wear like their thong or t-shirt. It's a valid and model. I, yeah. It is. It is. I think I might go back to it. Because, uh, Adam tried it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it didn't I, work out so well for me. Yeah. I'm not going to crack on it cause I may still go back. Uh, there's that approach, but then I tell people there's the approach of just success. Like you have to own what you like own what you're involved with. So even if it's not even the biggest race platform ever, like you're just doing some of these small OCR events, like if you start winning and showing like you're you're relatable to the crowds and that you are relevant in the industry, you can slowly start to pick up on that. And I think that can be across all platforms, whether it be, you know, being a bodybuilder and like, you know, some kind of small supplement industry wants to support you. Um, whether that be a CrossFitter, uh, you know, a track runner, whatever it is, that's how you have to do it. You know, win small and focus on that. And then what I did was I kept on growing past that and started to get into bigger platforms. And I think it was probably just the way I talked and the way I walked where people wanted to start sponsoring me like Reebok immediately. I was their first sponsored athlete. Um, Amelia, uh, who you guys know was like soon after she was sponsored with them. So they started to come in and pick people up and I can't tell you like, I think about how crazy I am. I think I told you guys this earlier. I don't know why people sponsor me. Like, if you walk down the street, I mean, you see what I'm wearing right now. They're like, that yeah. man has to. Yeah, Reebok's pissed yeah. right now. Yeah, they're, 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 they're like, this that motherfucker, man. we can't get him in our gear. We send him free shit all oh, the time. Oh, dude, I'll never forget. Dude, 20, Magnum PI. That's, yeah, 2013 World it. Championships for Spartan Race. Uh, we had an athlete panel that was uh, in Vermont. And like it was sponsored by Reebok and it was a very big deal for them to have like their athletes be there on that panel. And I showed up in my muddy combat boots and like a flannel shirt at the thing. And the guy just looked at me up and down. Like I could just tell he was like, fuck, this guy is such such an idiot. (laughs) And I was just chilling there and they put, they luckily took my shirt off and put um, like a Reebok shirt on and, but they, cause you couldn't see below the table, but I was wearing muddy combat boots. So I think um, I'm lucky to have people believing in me. I would probably say that at best because I don't know if I would sponsor me if I was a sponsor. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you're living in like a, a, a simulation, like you're a video game character? Because Only because I'm listening to your story. I'm like, this sounds so crazy, but it also makes sense at the same time. Do yeah. you ever think like, this is just not real? It isn't real. I'll tell you guys a crazy story. So the way it kind of started me coming out to California was I went to college and I recognized, I was like, I just like, I was basically paying all my friends in beer to do my homework and I would just sit next to them and drink while they did my homework for me. Nice. And I was like, I was like, this is... I was like, I don't want to do this stuff. So I was like, let's just hang out. And I like would go like, you know, go to the gym and lift a lot. And I, I immediately learned, I was like, this is not my life. So I was like, I'm going to get out of here and go do something. And then my friend, uh, I was at a party and I was really ripped at the time. And I popped out of a door in my underwear. And this person looked at me. He's like, yo, you should be a model, bro. And I was like, fuck yeah, I should be a model. <laughs> I should. I was like, so then within a couple of months of that, I had a modeling contract. And wait, my what? Daughter, what? I, 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 I swear to God. And then I went down to Miami. I got signed by a modeling agency. And then I was like up in New York taking pictures. Then I was out in Barcelona living, like being his model over there. And then I quit that industry. And then I came over here and I was like, I want to be a professional mud runner, bro. And then next thing you know, like this happens. So it does feel like a video game. Like, like you have like these two paths, like which way do you yeah. want to go, Hunter? I'm like, I'm taking the left baby. Like, <laughs> and it just, it ends up working out. And I can honestly say the only reason why I probably have come as far as I have is because when I start something, I don't stop talking about it and I don't stop yeah. living it as hard as I can until I've just, I'm done with it. 
Wow. wow. Who did you model for? I know. It was usually like Abercrombie & Fitch was the first big company that uh, got me. Um, what was that world like? What's yeah. that whole model? World? That must be so What, what was your signature pose? You um, I, mean? I would like purse my lips and pretend like I was. <laughs> I could smell bacon across the room. Like, <laughs> and that's, a great, flare, that's a great visual right there. And I'd flare my nostrils a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was usually the look. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad we're recording this on video. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... You know what? It was interesting because what my understanding of like a physical body looked like was like shredded. Like you had to be a fucking twisted steel and sex appeal. And a lot of these guys were like so androgynous. Like they were like this, like these, like they, they were, they were like skin, like scarecrows. They were just mm-hmm. had these like super angular lean bodies. They like, if you looked at them right now, like I don't know how any woman would be attracted yeah. to that, but they're getting these humongous contracts. And I would walk in there with like an eight pack, like veins from toe to my forehead. And I was like, give me the fucking job. Bro, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Look at this. Look at this. Do you not yeah. see this? <laughs> I so it was very interesting and like getting to travel around and meeting all these models and everybody has their own like personality and their own yeah. thing. It was very fun. Like my favorite story about modeling was I moved to Barcelona and this kid ended up being my roommate. He was my first time ever meeting an Australian person. His name was Brent McCormack. And I didn't realize that the word cunt meant bro to them. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah they love like, throwing that around. like, what you fucking doing yeah. shit cunt? I'm like, did you just call me a shit cunt? I was like, I was like I'll stab you in the forehead. Yeah. Like, Say that again. He's like, come at me, bro. He's like, yeah. fucking cunt, dude. He's like, where's my fucking protein shake of your shit cunt? I'm like, that's it again. He called me a cunt. <laughs> it's going down. Yeah. So... Like I hated him at first, but then I recognized like that he he was just being a bro, calling me a bro, yeah. and like I just had to learn like that was like my first introduction to like the outside world of Connecticut and New York, where we're like just like super vanilla bean people, and like I had to get thrown into these like rooms with people I had never met before, and it was so a was very this a competitive environment as well or what? Well, I made it a competitive <laughs> environment because that's all I understood. Give me that bear rug. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the thing was is like. It's an interesting industry, like where I'm sure it's just like acting. Like the the way to win is not systematic. It's it's like very like who you know, what you got going on, right place, right time. And I was like, I don't have time for this shit. I was like, I just want to be a beast. And I thought that that's how you won, but it wasn't. So I, I'll admit, like I met so many cool people. One of my best friends is still uh, an agent that I've worked with for years. Like I got. I got contacted the other day. I posted, like, last year I had long blonde hair. I'll show you guys my license. I look ridiculous. I posted a picture of, like, me in my underwear in the mirror with long blonde hair. L'Oreal immediately contacts me. <laughs> They're like, we're flying you out to Spain for a photo shoot. I was like, yep. Like, it was it was ridiculous. So, like, there's so many cool things came out of it. But in, in reality, it's something I probably won't pursue still. Uh, because being a model is just weird. <laughs> it was. It was. It, there were some points that looked. It, where I was. I felt exactly like Zoolander. We were doing uh, Zoolander yeah. Lots type of shit. Orange frappuccinos. Did you yeah. feel weird yeah. about yourself or what? Oh uh, no, it was just weird. Like I'll never forget. So that that apartment in Barcelona had this guy named Adam Hamilton, and he was like the just most best looking person you've ever seen in your life. Like he would spend like forty five minutes brushing his teeth every night. Like had to like make sure it was perfectly pearly white. Would do his lotion every single night and like walk around with masks and like you know be in his PJs. Like we looked oh, just normal. like the Zoolander yeah. guys. And then Brent, my, my roommate, Brent, he was just like a total, just, uh, oh, don't be upset, Brent. He was always ripped on cocaine and always, <laughs> and always gambling and like, would just like be like high book, a big job, come back, blow all his money. And then like, there was me who was just like a 
basically like a Labrador retriever. I was just like, I was like, well, let's lift weights. Like, let's go do this, bro. Like, let's do like, you know, I was like, let's go subway surfing. Let's go hang with chicks, bro. Like it was, it was just like a humongous cocktail of people that was very interesting. How old are you at that time? 19. Oh, 19, so you're a baby. Like, yeah. 19, 20, 21. Wow. Yeah. And like going to castings, think about how ridiculous it is walking around with a gigantic like bolt like a like folder like hardcover folder with pictures of you inside of it like walking around the city like hey check this out bro like there's me in a sweater like there's me in my do you like there's me in my underwear but come over a couple more pages there's another one of me in my underwear if you don't like that one like (laughs) (laughs) you just just here it is in navy blue i know i was like i i think back on it i was like god you were such an idiot Uh, so now was the money good was the money good i mean mean, it's it's good in the way that you you were always kind of like waiting paycheck to paycheck. And then like, if you did hit it, you hit it big. Like one of my buddies, Brian Shemansky has been the cover of uh, Chanel for years. And that guy, he was patient. He was always, he was a super handsome guy. Like he always wanted to, like he was on a lot of big jobs, but he waited a couple years. His name went up the ladder. And then all of a sudden he booked that job. Like, I'm sure if you waited and like I had waited a long time, maybe things would have opened up more for me, but Mm. you know, best job I ever booked was probably, 10,000 with a couple like residuals following it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you pick up any skills from modeling that have benefited you now? And no, <laughs> there's, there's no redeeming qualities for being a model. It's like, you know what? Like, I, like, I don't know. You're never going to bump into a model. Who's going to be like, he's like, I started my multi-billion dollar business because of the skills I learned as a model. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it sounds like I'm just listening to you. So, yeah. So, I, all, all I'll say is I, I, I got to experience life. Like I'm very happy that I got to do the drugs and do all the stupid things at a very young age because I was able to check that off the list. I think a lot of people in their, like a middle-aged person will like look back on their life in this crisis and be like, mm-hmm. I didn't do enough. And then they'll buy like a sports car and divorce their wife and start dating a woman with double D tits and be like, I, yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. So I, I had all that stuff at a young age. And now I've just gotten tension. Like, I just want to crush what I want to crush. Wow. You, <laughs> I love it. You take a pretty uh, kind of uh, scientific approach to your training. Are, like that, are you like that with your nutrition as well? Um, macronutrients, um, pretty diehard on that. I remember I was just listening to you talk about adding vegetables back. Like, yeah. I don't eat vegetables at all. Uh, none at all? None. Like I just had a like a really bad gas station sandwich with a like a little like a piece of lettuce in it. That's pretty oh much like God. the most greens I've had. How are you doing right in now? Weeks. Right now? Yeah, well, I'm pretty good. Okay, <laughs> take another sip of this thing. It might be I'm different. Worried. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so what macros are you trying to hit every day? Um, just your regular balance. I have like a whole breakdown on my phone. Like a, a good day with like three to four hours of training is like five thousand six six thousand calories. Like okay. you know six hundred to seven hundred grams of carbs, two hundred forty protein, and like a hundred and forty sixty grams. Those are my uh, competing macros right there. Were they really? yeah. damn near right around the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting, man. Like I trained for years, and uh, as soon as I started really hitting my macronutrients, like the muscle density and strength came up significantly. Sure. And I think which people, macro was it that you were missing before? Ah, dude, you'd be so surprised how many, how hard it is to get the amount of carbs you need. Sure. Mm. Like 700 grams of carbs is just like sitting there, like trying to like be a mathematician. You're like, where the fuck am I going to get these numbers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I drink a ton of sugar. Like I, I take down so much honey Hobie Call is one of the greatest, probably the greatest competitor in our sport in history, and he takes like a gallon of honey down a, uh, a week. He's a really? beast. Wow. Raw honey. So he taught me about that. Maple syrup, pancakes, pancakes, Kodiak cakes. 
uh, lots of orange juice, Gatorade, like just shitty stuff. Uh, yeah, stuff, no. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, am I going to say, tell him? Do I need to tell him that? No, he, he knows. Oh, dude, he's aware. Sure. Yeah. If I stop doing what I do right now, it's hard to it, get all that many calories. I man. would have yeah. like both kinds of diabetes within a week. Oh, like, it, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Well, you're but, full throttle though. Yeah, so you you have to be. I don't think um, I don't think the diet. I would never prescribe my diet to anybody unless they were just so full on in. Sure. Uh, but the reality is like. The more I eat, the leaner I get. Like right now, I haven't been really counting my macros and been paying attention because I've been I've been on two jobs recently where I just like just will eat anything I can during the day, and it's hard to like look back like quarter of a brownie, or, like mm-hmm. whatever. So I actually probably gained a couple pounds of body fat. But if I started eating more sugar, like you'll start seeing like veins coming out of my stomach, and like just, I wonder if it's just because you're fueling muscle. Do you build muscle real easily? Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky. I don't know how, uh, like some people are like, you're lucky to gain five pounds of muscle in a year. Like if I get on my steak, rice and sugar diet, which is like my, my, it's going to be a book coming out. Steak, um, rice and sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chapter one, lots of steak. Hey, Chapter not? two, <laughs> yeah. rice, sugar, sugar, sugar. Chapter three. <laughs> and yeah, it just, it, it helps build really quickly and the numbers go up. So I, I could say to anybody who's like probably in the gym right now saying that they've tried every plan, everything, like I'd be like, look at your nutrients and I bet you you're super far off. Like I've hung out with a lot of high level CrossFitters and I just make fun of them. I'm like, you eat like a bird. Like you don't eat enough. Like you're in there having your. Oh, it's ironic spread. that a lot of them follow the paleo diet and stuff like that. Just as first doesn't make any sense. I don't. Th- I don't think the high com- the high level competitors even do that anymore. That no. was the thing for a second. But paleo, you ain't gonna have the energy. No, no. I think it'd be pretty disgusting. Like I, I, I usually so a day looks like this. I'll wake up in the morning. I usually have Greek yogurt and a lot of honey. Um, then when I'm working out, I usually take in like I just put in um a bunch of like aminos, creatine. And either like some kind of like, it's either with orange juice or something like that. And I mix that up and I'll drink it while I'm working out. After I'm done with working out, it's usually um, steak and rice or like eggs and toast. And like a shake with four bananas, four scoops of protein, not four scoops, two scoops of protein, lots of maple syrup and carbohydrate uh, powder mix. Mm -hmm. Then I'll rest for a bit. I'll have steak and rice. And then during like, you know, I'll have a shake before workout, coffee and honey or some kind of pre-workout stuff. Then after working out, uh, another ribeye and rice. And then like usually like a lot of like shitty ice cream, ice cream and stuff before bedtime if I'm missing macros. And I wake up the next day and I'm like, you're stage ready. (laughs) (laughs) You you do realize that you you, obviously you work your ass off, but you're also a genetic freak. You realize that, don't you? Sure. Sure. I yeah, there's things going on. My brother Garrett, he like he won't train for six months, and I'll be like, all right, we're going for a ten mile run, and he'll do it. It wow. just doesn't do it. Like it's amazing. I'll put three fifteen on his back, and he'll just keep on squatting. He's like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, shut up, just put it down. <laughs> I'll get you out of there. And he does it like three to five times. I'm like, dude, you don't ever train. So we got some good stuff in our system. That's definitely true. Um, yeah, like if you looked at some kind of like body body chart, I'd probably be like a pretty key, like a nailed on like mesomorph if you want to categorize it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just did the the model face right there. Yeah, yeah no. that's a skill, buddy. Yeah, it's fun. So <laughs> the broken skull. I didn't know that the broken skull kicks back fifty grand every time. So did you get that every every? Because you're eight time champion, aren't you? Yeah, more than that. In three years, I made one hundred ninety five k. Oh shit! Just nice. from them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. 
I mean, dude, it's it's an interesting industry. Like, if you play the game, like, there's so many shows that we have going on. Like, American Ninja Warrior is probably the biggest one, but yeah. it doesn't shell out ever shell out money because almost no one ever wins it. Yeah. Um, but there was things called like the Spartan Ultimate Challenge. That's 50k per win. Um, Broken Skull Titan Titan uh, games coming out. I blew that. I didn't go on that show. No, I should have. Oh, you killed that. Well, the casting director called me. He's like, "We want you on the show." And I was like, "Can you tell me what it is?" Because like, I don't want to go on like a reality television show where I'm like hitting my friends with Nerf bats. Like, I want to <laughs> fucking rage. Uh, like I, and they wouldn't give me any information. Then all of a sudden it comes out, and it's like I I actually went and watched um, some of the filming, and I was like, "Fuck, I fucked up." Yeah. Um, so Broken Skull Ranch was another really big thing. I just did a television show. They'd shoot me if I said the title of it, but, uh, there's huge cash in that. Um, it's like, there's all these reality television shows that shell out a lot of money. And then in our own professional circuit, you know, 25,000, 100,000, 10,000, 5,000. And then if you, if you really bust your ass, sponsors are there. What's the biggest purse that you've won? Broken Skull. Yeah. Uh, 75K. Yeah. Mm. 75K in like a month. That was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Does Spartan doesn't put put out that much, do they? They don't. No, they they have a lot. They have a lot, and I don't. I I keep on telling the uh, owner of the business. I was like, what you should do to get this more coverage is you should take out every weekend. There's like five races that are giving out five hundred dollars for first place, like three hundred for second, and one hundred for third, and they do that both on the male and female side, all over the not all over the world. And if what they did was they just condensed it down and beefed up a couple of the big ones, you'd bring in more media, you'd bring in more athletes. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why they don't do it. We'll but. tell Joe at next. We have him in two weeks. I think he's back. Yeah. What he likes to do is he likes to build these like insanely ridiculous ideas. Like if you get a hundred miles in Iceland, you'll get a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And it's not feasible. Like he always picks things. <laughs> he, always, he always makes things that are impossible. And so there, people are like lemmings. They like don't look. They're just like I'm going, and they just like just send it, and they always end up just getting trashed in the process. Yeah. I learned from a very young age because the first. When I first started Spartan Race, I moved in with Joe at his, at his uh, ranch in Vermont. Did you really? Yeah, wow. in 2013. He's a maniac, too. He's insane. What's that race he does? A death race? Death or? race. Yeah. And I, I, I witnessed it happening while I lived there, and I was like, this is the craziest Crazy. thing I've ever seen. He got these idiots to pay $1,000 a piece <laughs> and then build him a staircase out of rocks bigger than this, sla- uh, this right here, a 1,500 feet up a mountain. A staircase you could take every step. You'd never touch dirt. You just walk straight up these stones that people built. They paid to build him a staircase. And they're like, and and somehow by the end of it, he's like, what you did was amazing. Like, you know, he's like, you proved it to yourself that you had the strength to do that. And and I'm sitting there. I'm like, (laughs) meanwhile, Joe's like, I got my fucking stairs. That's the ultimate ninja move right there. I was like, how the hell could you believe that? And they like wear the metal around for like six months afterwards. I was like, God, it's like, you just take that shit and you eat it all day. It's, it's amazing to me, but he's, he's incredibly clever in the way that, I think people don't have anything to identify with. And if you can identify with him, then you can identify with yourself and the sure. community that surrounds it. It gives you ownership of, of at least something in your life. So I think I, it also gives some people meaning in a, in, a, in a world where things are so easy. They're so fucking easy yeah. that yeah. You, you never challenge yourself. Then you go do one of these races, you feel like you're almost die, if you, especially if you compare it to your normal, you know, nine to five job, and you share that stress with the people around you, and then you bond, and you're like, yay, yeah, life has meaning now. How, 
It's insanity. To me. Have you and Joe become good friends? Yeah, yeah. Joe, I mean, Joe and I saw each other every day when I was living out there in Vermont. He's an incredible guy. At this point, he's kind of like Carmen San Diego meets. Um, there's got to be another better comparison, but Carmen San Diego in the way that you can never find out where he really is. Like you're always like you got get him for a second, and he like disappears on the helicopter. He's like, ah, ha, 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 next time, Hunter. I'm like, <laughs> good old <laughs> Apple IIe reference like, like, there, you yeah. motherfucker. Uh, but he. He's such a big vessel now that it's hard to keep up with his momentum. Yeah. Um, he used to be just this simple person where you'd meet him in the general store, which is this like little grocery store in his town, sit down, have a cup of coffee with him. But now, like when I stand by him, like he has a microphone and a camera on him at all times. Like mm. you started getting sw- swept up in it. Like it's just, it's amazing. So I don't know how he does it. Like, anything you learned from him while you were living with him or anything you've picked up from him? I would say the greatest thing I learned from Joe is just uh, nonstop intensity. Uh, I, I learned that when I what I thought at the age of 23 was like a high level opera badass operator badass dude. Like he had woken up before me, done a workout, had a couple meetings, was having breakfast with me, and was able to like hang out with his family, do things, uh, have breakfast with me, and then had the entire other day like the full day lined up, and the next like six months lined up of meetings, and. I think people like to use the word busy. Like whenever someone tells me they can't meet up with me or do something, I just send, I send back hashtag busy to them. It's like an insult. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're so busy, bro. Um, <laughs> I can't pick up my phone call. So busy. Uh, he defines busy. And if you want to have a full day, make it so. Don't talk about it. Be about it. And he was just that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He nice. he had so many business deals going on all at once. Uh, you know, he could be talking to you and three other people at the same time. It's pretty yeah. incredible. That's awesome. What about like sleep or stress practices? You meditate? How's your sleep? Do you sleep well? Are you are you like a five hour night, let's go kind of person? Gosh, I don't really believe in sleep as much as people talk about it. Like I probably Malibu was on fire all last week yeah, and I was up terrible. there fighting the fires and we didn't sleep at all. And I, then I had to go back and film a show that was being filmed every night from six, uh, 4 PM till 4 AM. And we were like going all out during that. And I would sleep for like three, four hours and then go to the gym for two, three hours and then go back and film the show and then fight fires. Like it was just like back and forth and I'm still fine. Uh, and I'm standing here in front of you guys. So sleep's never been something important to me. Um, I just close my eyes and I open them. I guess that's, that's my formula. <laughs> How old are you right now? 29. Yeah. My dad, my, no, my dad's the same way. My dad never mm. sleeps. It's crazy. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. I'm a king of cat naps. Like if you guys stop talking right now, I would just pass out for five seconds and come right back up. That's important. Like mm. being able to find your little micro rests. Um, I think the biggest thing that gives me energy is quiet time. Like I actually like being around people all the time, but I always make sure I go back up the mountain to my place in Malibu or mm-hmm. like find a spot where I can read for a bit, take a quick power nap and then get back out there. Like that's, that's my mm-hmm. superfood, I guess. Is that kind of how you unwind? I, I would imagine a guy like you that's full throttle a lot of times also likes to probably shut down every once in a while. Is that, is that what you do is you go away somewhere, read or what do you normally yeah. do on when you're not training to be a badass? Uh, just I every day between the hours of like two and four. That's it. That's like my me time. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like I surround myself with people. Um, sometimes I do like the whole Paul check thing where I like I get naked and I'll like go out in the woods and stack rocks yeah. like every once in a while. I think it's important. 
I try to get away from my phone as much as possible. It's impossible with social media, my books, my emails, everything on that thing. So I just try to go places where there's no cell phone service and like make sure that I spend time like that by myself every once in a while. Uh, that's really powerful. But other than that, man, like it's just those two hours a day. It's pretty good. Uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, that Mike Mentzer book, uh, mm-hmm. just le- le- reading um, like the hundreds or 50 strength training uh, principles from Charles Poliquin, RIP, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a couple of strength training things. And I'm also reading The Ultimate High about this guy named Goran Krop. He, he biked all the way from Sweden to all the way from Sweden with all of his gear and then climbed up Mount Everest with no oxygen or anything and then came back down and biked all the Jeez way home. Christ. Yeah. Holy shit. What? Yeah. I think things like that, like when I can read things like that, it makes things that to me, like, or some people like, I can't believe, like some people are telling me like, I can't believe you're getting on a flight and then coming right back here, bro. Like that's insane. One day. (laughs) I was like, I got in a car, I sat on a plane and then I came back on a plane and then I got back in a car. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Um, But what it does is it gives me, like, I like to read books like that. Like Shackleton Endurance is a great thing Mm. that everyone should probably read because Mm -hmm. it will just tell you to shut the fuck up and stop complaining. Like that, that story about him going into the pole, getting surrounded by ice, his ship gets wrecked. Mm-hmm. He keeps all of his men safe for like, I think a year and a half or two years mm-hmm. and then gets them all out safe and saves them it, all while not having any kind of resources of modern day man. And like that, I always like to read things like that. And I was just reading Napoleon's book, like his biography. So things where you realize that what you think is incredible is really, really on a small scale in comparison to most people, like some people. Mm -hmm. It's like those things where I'm just strength training and like reading books like that. Mm -hmm. And having a blast. Now you've been outspoken for quite some time now and you're not afraid to tell anybody how it is. Have you rubbed anybody the wrong way and do you have anybody that is kind of like your nemesis or an enemy or someone who doesn't like you very much? God, you'd be surprised just recently, like in the past two weeks or a month, um, like two guys that I just kind of had beef with, like Robert Killian, he's a champion in our sport, and Isaiah Vidal, like they're, they were both like high-level competitors against me, and we compete at such a high level, it's like sometimes hard to like, you know keep friendships, um, and I would just talk shit to them constantly, and it's like sometimes I just recognize, I was like, you know what, I either have to shake their hand or fight them. <laughs> and I just decided to shake both their hands. Like, yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely rub people the wrong way. Uh, a lot of people, since I've been talking about this CrossFit stuff, just people I don't even know who are high-level CrossFitters just saying things like, it, it, it's more exhausting for them to log in and then hit me with negativity than it is for them to just shut the fuck up and do their own thing. So they'll just come at me. And I've always been the kind of person where I, I, I'll use the term butthurt. Like people just get super sensitive with these things that I... I say, and I don't take it back. I think the only thing that I am a strong believer in is if you have an opinion about someone, like you say it to their face. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't like it when people talk about other people behind their backs. It's like cowardly. Unless you, unless you can, if you say something right now, I'm like, well, that guy's a total asshole. Like I, I'll never forget. I, someone spilt beer on me at a bar one time, my buddy Joe, and he was such an asshole. And I was like, I'm tired of calling this guy an asshole. I got to go punch him in the face. So I just walked he had just spilled beer on me and laughed at me. And then I walked over to my friends. I was like, he's such an asshole. And I was like, shit, I got to punch him in the face. So I just walked over and just punched him in the face as hard <laughs> as I could and then walked away. And I was like, that's how we got to do it from yeah. now on. And <laughs> that's the code, right? You'd there. be surprised. Like, yeah. if you can just get that stuff off your chest, I'm not trying to condone violence by any means, but <laughs> I'm trying to say that you should, 
You just got to stand up for yourself. And if and, and if you do follow through with those kind of words, it will make you own it or make you all of a sudden be like, oh, gosh, I can't keep on saying this stuff. Like, I got to change my mentality. And like, that's why when I kept on talking shit to those two guys I just mentioned, I was like, I don't really dislike them that much. Like, I disliked a couple things that they did. And I went over and I, I squashed it with them. And I just said, hey, look, I'm super sorry. I've been saying things about you. And to you, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't really dislike you that much. I just probably got upset. Well, that's good. Mm, Very evolved. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to be evolved. Yeah. You know? <laughs> be a big man. I think it's it's hard this day and age to with like the social media crisis of having like identity and also being like uh, just a an actual human being. Like you're creating these stories and you're not really identifying with that because you're just doing it in the moment and then writing a quick story and then going back to your regular life. Like, well, what the fuck am I going to post today? that's going to sound like it's cool to these 40,000 people <laughs> yeah, that follow me. Absolutely. And gosh, it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to lie. Like I, you're kind of a, a slave to it a little bit. Like I'm sure you guys, absolutely. Um, mm. like you're going to probably do so many more interviews like this. And at sometimes you're probably going to double back on things that you said and believed in just to kind of fill the void of the room. Uh, and I've been caught up in that before and you don't want that. So it's kind of intense. Um, because I, I do these interviews all the time and I, I have to always make sure I come into the room and don't say the same exact thing because nobody wants to hear it over and over again, but don't make something up just because you're trying to, you know, be in the moment. Have you repeated the stories you told us today? Have you told some of those before? Yeah, I think sometimes like it was funny going through that whole model thing. Like I try not to talk about it too much because like it was such a small part of my life, but everybody, when I bring it up, they're like, Oh my God, tell it's me hilarious. about that. But, oh, yeah, it's just silly. But like, I didn't, it was just a, such a small period of time. So I just told you guys some fun stories, but usually I don't talk about it. Cause like so many people like will have like uh, some kind of negative connotation of it. Like, did you have to do like a thing with that guy or something? And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. no, but thanks for bringing it up. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, and like, you must have, you totally did. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> so like people, like, I don't remember. <laughs> I actually blacked out. Yeah. Um, so there's sometimes where I just don't bring things up because it's just, uh, sometimes it's not necessarily sensitive to me. It's just like, I feel like if I bring it up, then it's going to open up just like a closet of mm-hmm. shit that I, you don't, you kind of just put behind you right. and it's not like I have anything to hide. It's just, you know, I try to stay relevant and have fun with it. You've, you've done so much and accomplished so much. What, what's your proudest moment? Fuck. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest thing, uh, but it was probably my happiest moment. Uh, we won the team world title at World's Toughest Mudder, which is a 24-hour race uh, in a five-mile lap in Las Vegas. And we had no clue what we were doing. Like, we showed up just like, I don't know. It just was such a, we were so unprepared. Like, we had done Spartan races and stuff. It was my first Tough Mudder ever, and it was 24 hours. We'd done Spartan races that were eight miles all you have to do is have short shoes and like, you know, maybe a t-shirt and a water bottle. So we brought the same equipment to this 24 hour race and we got annihilated, but we ended up winning just through pure grit. And like, just, we were all such good friends, four of us going through my best buddy shit his pants and he wanted to take his wetsuit off. He's like, I got to poop. I was like, you can't poop. I was like, you got to poop your pants because we have to keep on running to win this race. Like it was moments like that where, and I'd like pick him up on my shoulders and I know that he was filled with shit. Like afterwards, like it was like, we were just doing things. And one of my buddies was scared of heights and we had to jump off this 40 foot cliff to keep on getting to the next session or you do this huge penalty lap. And he'd be crying. And I was like, 
like, shut the fuck up. I was like, this 40 foot cliff is our world title right here. And we overcame so many, so many of our little battles inside. Like I got hypothermia. Like I was having like a fucking beef with my girlfriend. Like, you know, other person pooped his pants. Another person had to get over heights. Like we had all these little micro battles, but we, we, we went forward as a team and I never compete as a team. And it was like my, it was my first success ever as a team. And I was like, God, that was way more gratifying than winning on your own. Mm. And it, I think about it to this day. It's like, I understand the, the, the team approach now and why it's, it's valuable to have a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's man. awesome. That is cool. What about the least thing you're proud of? Um, least thing I'm proud of I'm trying to think of something that I just blew. Uh, I don't know. I would probably say the thing that I'm least proud of is some of the some of the ways that I treated my family and my friends probably in my earlier years, like, you know, through the whole drug, drinking, rehab, arrests, things like that. It wasn't like I was lying in the way that, you know, I was stealing from you or I was lying in the way that like I needed to just mislead you so that you could, you know, fall for my tricks. It was like I just was not necessarily a genuine person in my day-to-day actions. Like it was just more me centric and it took so many years to get past that um, and be a little bit more evolved in the way that I can see other people in the room rather than myself. So I felt bad. The most painful moment of my entire life was when I was in rehab, we had these, I don't remember the word for it, but basically it's kind of like a, a letter that your parents write to you, each of them independently write a letter to you where they tell you how it is. Mm. And we're sitting around the fire in the middle of nowhere in the woods, like straight up woods, not like, you know, a little bit, like a couple feet off a beaten, like an actual path. Like it was, we were in the thick of it in the woods in the snow around this fire. And I'm not giving a fuck about what the rehab people are telling me. And they give you this letter and they're like, it's time for you to read. And I read my mom's like, it was just like a, a newspaper article or just like some kind of fiction novel. I was like, whatever, stupid and then I read my dad's and I, at the time, hated my dad. Like he and I would have like death threat conversations. I was like, I'll burn down your house while well, you're sleeping in it. And I read that thing and it tore me up. Like that mm. kind of guttural cry that you can imagine. It's like, you know, when you, like a mother's lost a child kind of thing. Like I was so like, <gasps> like gargling in my own tears. And by the time I was done reading that, I was like, you are a beast of a human. Like you you have ruined people's lives and you don't even know it. And uh, it took me like another couple of years past that to actually start to act upon those things. But I'll never forget that letter. What, what did he uh, say in it that hit you? Oh, dude, it was just like, it was like, here are all the things that you ask for and here are all the things and, and you demand of us and here are all the things that you do in return that might even like slightly, like what makes you think that you deserve any of these things? Just because like you, you popped out doesn't mean that you deserve anything that you ask for. And like, I was just an entitled little shit. Like we, we were a well-to-do family growing up in like, you know, white town USA where like we had no problems, no, like, you know, there's no issues with our life. And I just was like, this kid gets this car, this thing. Like, I want that. I want, you know, I want to go here. I want to go like on this. I want, this is what I want to do with my time. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And at the time, like you just, for some reason, I didn't know. I don't know why it was. It seemed so apparent, but like I was just getting fucked up. And when I would get arrested, I'd be like, D- I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Like, you have to trust me. I didn't do that. And I was just lying to their face. And he's like, How could you think that we 
you didn't do that. You're on camera doing it. Right. Like, and it was crazy. So it was very entitled. Yeah, I was very entitled. Like, I think it just, I, I never had to deal with the ramifications other than being like spanked and put in time out. Like, mm. you know, most people, when they screw up, they like truly, they got to deal with the deed. And I hadn't ever faced that. And, and at the time I was in like a rehab that cost $20,000 a month to have me at, which was basically a glorified camp. And like, I still was at like the, basically like the, you know, at the peak of existence, like who gets to pay that kind of money to be in trouble, to mm-hmm. be in the woods. Like I still was in that moment and I couldn't see it. And, uh, like they just kept on giving me more rope to hang myself with. And I, I'm not saying what they did was wrong by any means, but I probably should have tasted pain, like, you know, a little pain and suffering a little bit earlier yeah. on. Was there an intervention or did you willingly go to rehab? <laughs> no, no, I was court ordered. Yeah. The judge <laughs> said, Mister. <laughs> That's right. You, this is Adeline. That's like, right. Okay. Dude, I'll never forget. I would go into the courtrooms and I'm in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is a pretty badass town in Connecticut, meaning like there's a lot of bad shit going on there. And these people are being like, you know, basically brought up on the uh, in front of the judge for like grand larceny and, you know, assault with a deadly weapon or murder, or just fucked up things. And these people would just be processed and sent throughout. And when I got up, the family that I had just most recently got in trouble with, uh, the woman would get on the, the microphone and she would just be like, this boy has tormented our family for years. Like, I can't sleep at night. The devil is in my brain. And like the, it was messed up. And the whole room would look at me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> gosh. Like, But at the time, I didn't even care. So um, it took years. Uh, I went through that whole thing and then I went through college and partied a lot. I had like an overdose moment that kind of kicked me back into realizing that drugs and this whole professional racing career was ever going to be, I couldn't do both at the same time. Mm. So just like looking back at that stuff now and seeing the way I was, like I just tried to make sure that I designed myself to be as far away from that as possible and also make sure that I can always recognize who I was and how I can be better than that. Um, and I always like the reason why I say I go to a, a therapist a lot is because I want to make sure that I always keep that person in check because as you become a tidal wave of a human being, like you don't understand the amount of momentum and energy you have behind you. Like what you say right now, people will listen to and then follow in your footsteps uh, or like, you know, the people that you don't pay attention to, you're just kind of trampling over. Mm-hmm. And that can happen with my family, my friends, my competitors, people who like, you know, the businesses that I'm involved with. So I always got to keep that in check. Did you have a moment where you felt compelled to come back and, and say something or write something to your parents? Like, have you had that conversation like since all this? Uh, I think in the years it's kind of happened uh, organically in the way that I didn't like have to like sit them down and say it. I think it's, um, I have had, had conversations with them, but I think just overall, I try my best to just be the best son I can be at this point. Yeah. Um, And I had to write letters back and I had to have like, you know, they had to come out into the woods and have like a moment with me and my counselors and stuff. So probably as a, as a grown man now, I probably could do something. But what I do now is I always make sure that I, every single time there's holidays or anytime there's a moment, like I'm there for my family and I give every effort that I have to be the best person possible. I don't think, I'm not a huge believer in like grand gestures, uh, just because I think sometimes when people do grand gestures, they think that they can then all of a sudden ride off that for a long time. So I just try to be consistent and be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do now. Do you think they're they're proud of you now? Oh, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Uh, I 
I can say that my dad and my, my dad's my biggest fan probably because he really will just, he'll fly out for almost any race. That's oh, a that's big cool. deal. Nice. Uh, he's, he's there. Everybody in my family's on these email chains and they're really involved. My mom makes sure that like, you know, she's just constantly calling me up, staying in check. Like, you know, my friend, you know, Lucy said that she saw this, 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 like they're, <laughs> they're super excited. And, uh, my grandfather is somebody I haven't mentioned at all. He probably was the person who kicked this whole thing off. That's my mom's father. He was a master of Olympian and world champion in, in track and field. And that dude was like the most humble and amazing person you've ever met. Like I just, he's still alive. Uh, so I can't say you could still meet him if you want to. Uh, but he, he kind of was the reason why I started getting into athletics. He pushed me so much to be part of it. And, uh, I think the more I am involved with sport, the more they can see that that I'm kind of carrying the torch forward in our family like that. So everyone's really invested. That's very cool. That's awesome. We're excited about it. Well, you're a cool guy, man. I'm trying to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> appreciate you coming on the show. We're gonna, we're gonna fight for you to get that wild card, dude. Yeah, yeah baby. I yeah. think it would we're be push it forward. I think it would be smart. I think it would be smart on their hat, on their, oh, yeah. and to put you on because you're. I mean, you would bring <laughs> media. You know what I mean. They need a Conor McGregor media. There yeah. you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, are you? Is, is there? A, are you? I mean, have you given yourself a time frame? We talked a little bit off air, um, and I was sharing with you, like before I even competed in bodybuilding, I wanted to build my build my frame, build my physique, so I knew I could potentially win. You said that you alluded to the same thing that you're kind of going through that right now with a lot of the Olympic lifts and training for CrossFit. Do you have a time frame in mind? Like, I'd like to be ready by the games of next year or yeah. the year after. Twenty twenty is one hundred percent the weird year. Like, um, it's either it's either uh, you know, make it or, or drop it. Like, okay. I'm I'm gonna do that. And right. uh, basically, at this point, it's either the wild card this year. I will do a couple submissions of doing some of these contests that they have. But at the same time, like, I'm not gonna lie to myself, and I'm not gonna go and bark in someone's face and say that I can beat them unless I know I can. So I'll be totally honest. I'm not ready. Uh, so I, I like to be ready and I like to be intentional with my design. So it's going to be a quiet year for me in competition. I'll still do some things, but um, I'm just going to go in dojo mode. Like I'm I'm behind enemy lines and I'm just, I'm doing my research. Uh, I'm excited, yeah. man. Yeah. Good deal, man. Well, good luck. For sure, dude. Yeah. You guys yeah, will be seeing it. it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Good Thanks for coming on, man. Sweet. Thank you. Rock on, baby. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.